There are killer blades of grass on the loose, giant silverfish attacking the harbor, sentient window panes falling from the sky, and polka dot jaguars that are really angry. What should we do, Mario? Fettuccine Alfredo spaghetti lasagna gorgonzola prego grande. Of course, sheer genius. Empty every restaurant in town and throw the food at the enemy. They'll get too fat to move. Now, um, what should we do about that little problem with zombies in the Mushroom Kingdom? Puccini, Pavarotti, Michelangelo, Donatello, Fellini, Cardinale, Don Giovanni. Yes, yes, it makes perfect sense. Gather all the art we have and make a wall out of it. Zombies are easily distracted and that will buy us time. Now, what to do about the poor harvest this year? Gucci, Prada, Armani, Dolce, Valentino, Versace, Missoni, Brioni, Trussardi. I don't know if we have enough clothes to make them look good, but we'll do our best. Just leave our little problem with Princess Peach. Her makeup job went so badly that she won't come out. Pesky di Caparia. Lucy, Ribisi, Bella Capala, Fiorentino, Pantagliano, Russo, Pacino, Mitabolo. They've solved all our problems with their comprehensive Italian knowledge, although their knowledge of the actors seems a little bit sketchy. These two plumbers are the best! Wait! Who are the, these guys in suits? They want me to pay for protection. Did we get a bad deal? Let's go! Oh yeah! On your swords, ready your spells. You're about to enter the heart of a dungeon filled with computer and console RPGs from way back when, right up through yesteryear. To get you through this maze that's dripping with danger, we've gathered the best men and women from RP Gamer to watch your back. Some of you have never entered this area before. You're in for quite a fight. For others, this return visit can only be described as an RPG backtrack. Here are the party leaders for this expedition, Phil Willis and Mike Minky. And welcome to RPG Backtrack number 68. I am your host, Philip Mario, and this is... I am Michael Mario, or as people might call me in other places, Mr. Minky, which does not really work in an Italian context at all, but it's what we have to work with, I'm sorry. That's the truth, isn't it, Mr. Mikey Mario? I'm afraid that not every name can quite work as an Italian one. It just doesn't go. For example, take, uh, Becky. Becky Mario just doesn't work, does it? <laughs> now, when Cunningham is about as un-Italian as you can get, but Super Mario did call me once. Mm. True so, story. Yes, we have a trio of Mushroom, uh, Mushroom Kingdom people to help us tonight. Are talk you referring about... to Captain Lou Albano or some other Super Mario? Oh, who's Captain Lou Albano? Oh my what gosh, you're, you're off the cast, sorry. Bye. It was nice knowing you. <laughs> he recorded yeah, that sounds a, like a story we need to hear. He recorded a uh, pickup message for EB Games for Super Mario Galaxy oh, when I pre-ordered it. <laughs> and uh, next up on the list is Cassandra Italian Ramos. <laughs> the Spanish name, actually, but... <laughs> Italian and Spanish are close. I keep yeah. thinking of Ramos noodles, so maybe they're Italian Ramos instead. <laughs> and it's not it's not Michael three apps, it's Michael new apps. Uh what? 
Well, I know that you changed your name in celebration of the new iPad that came out, but they didn't call it the iPad 3 like everybody expected. They call it the new iPad. So I know you must have changed your name to Michael the New Apps. This is true. See there? <laughs> you didn't see that coming. <laughs> or you could just call it Michaelo Apps. Yeah, there you go. Don Appsiano. <laughs> so, uh, we are talking about the original Super Mario Brothers trilogy on the NES today, right? We could. <laughs> I don't think we'd have too much to say. I can say that I actually never beat the first one. I got all the way up to World 8-4, and I kept falling into the lava, and I feel bad about that. <laughs> but you know, good. Phil, as tenuous as some of the games we've talked about on the RPG Backtrack are for RPG qualification, I don't think we can call the original NES Mario Brothers games RPGs under any qualifications. Well, I got to make decisions that affected the fate of the Mushroom Kingdom. And you're playing the role of a small Italian plumber who is good at jumping on crap. And I'm personally cleaning out the pipes by going down them. Yes, and you're you're killing a lot of innocent turtles and um, mushroom-shaped things that they call Goombas that can fly. You had to bring that up, didn't you, Mike? You had to bring that up. Speaking of killing turtles, your friend Michael Bay is at it again. No, no. Uh, well, no. you know, Phil, I will say this. If this movie is worse than Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, the universe will somehow implode. <laughs> it's Teenage it's Teenage Alien Ninja Turtles now. If you guys haven't heard, Michael Bay is making a new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, but he said he's saying he's it's right there on the internet where he's talking yeah, about this and he's about saying it, they're from their origin doesn't make any sense. So we'll just turn them into aliens because mutants is too hard to understand. Is that about cover the, it? The whole green ooze thing that's only been beat into our brains since the eighties has been wrong all along because Michael Bay says so. Well, we've seen what Michael Bay does when he tackles anything, really. I'm sure this will be no exception. It will be loud, way too long, and insult everyone's intelligence. That's what he did with the Transformers, right? Yes, he he did. turned them into aliens. Like, they don't even look like, when they're in robot form, they look nothing like the, you know, the previous incarnations. They look like funky robot aliens that you can't tell apart from one another. They do. No, oh, but we do get on a sidetrack here. Um, anyways. We, we, can, we, sh we shall close that discussion by saying that the only way to watch those movies is with the Rift Tracks that you can conveniently download from RiftTracks.com, which will increase your viewing experience's pleasure by roughly, oh, I don't know, 10 million percent. Uh, or with a whole hell of a lot of vodka, which is the way I enjoy them. Hey, that does with look like Octopus. <laughs> or both, yeah. Um, okay, so tonight what we're really <laughs> talking about is the trio of Mario and Luigi uh, RPGs that uh, came out uh, between the Game Boy Advance and the DS, if I'm not mistaken. So, mistaken. Yeah, I, I try not to mistake too, 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 too much. Um, because then people take to the forums and call me really bad names. So, <laughs> I'm going to go find some mistakes to make so you guys have something to write about on our boards. And while I'm doing that, why don't you listen to some uh, some music from one of the Superstar Mario something or rather games. We'll be right back.
Well, uh, let's see what we got here tonight. Uh, we are going to start off talking about the uh, the Game Boy Advance game, Mario & Luigi Superstar Sega, developed by Alpha Dream Vanpool. <laughs> I never heard of these guys. Published, of course, by Nintendo. This was released in North America on November the 17th, 2003. This is a single and multiplayer RPG video game experience for your Game Boy Advance, rated E for everybody on a gorgeous, beautiful 128 megabit cartridge. Wait, multiplayer? Did this get another copy of the original Mario Brothers slapped in like Nintendo did for all of the re-releases? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I actually enjoyed this one on using the GameCube Game Boy Player. That was pretty awesome. You know, that wouldn't be a bad way to play it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I won't discuss how I played this one. Um, I won't discuss how I played... <laughs> she completed the whole thing with bath in bathroom breaks. Um, <laughs> the DS, the Game Boy Advance sat there nice and quiet, waiting for her patiently every day at the same time. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I digress. I, I, I never owned a Game Boy Advance, that's all I'll say. Mm. The DS is backward compatible, but it, this, yeah. this, you this, must have played it later. This game has been sitting in the Game Boy Advance slot on my DS probably longer than any other, uh, because I go back to it here and there, and I never seem to quite get the umph to uh to to polish it off i've probably put almost 20 hours into it by now give or take so uh so but i'm gonna let you guys the experts just kind of run with the ball here because it's been a while since i've only put 20 hours into it yeah only 20 maybe 15 20 hours i kind of lost track because it's just here and there and everywhere so i understand you know mechanics of the game and stuff like that but um i'm gonna let one of y'all talk about the story okay let's see what i remember i i played it more than once but it's been a while let's see here there are bad things happening in the Mushroom Kingdom. You begin with Mario having another fight with Bowser. Again, this this is great storytelling, but that doesn't last too long. And Bowser promptly leaves the Mushroom Kingdom in his gigantic flying fortress to go... I can't remember what he was trying to catch, but Mario goes after him. And Luigi, who is normally just on home, on home patrol duty, well, he gets... Sucker, he gets to tag along because Bowser mistakes him for one of his own soldiers. It's the green. <laughs> and soon enough, the brothers are united and learning the tutorial for the game from Bowser, who thinks that, well, gosh, these both have to be my soldiers, so I'll teach these rookies what, the, what they need to know. And soon enough, Bowser managed to get blown out of his own ship by the evil Cacoletta and her hilarious minion Fawful. And off go... Mario and Luigi to stop Cacletta, find out what happened to Bowser, because he has amnesia for a while. And there are a lot of junctures along the way, but really that's the main story, because once you finally meet Cacletta and beat her to a pulp, she manages to fuse with Bowser and become the evil Bowletta, <laughs> created by fusing two names in the clever fashion that you just heard. No, how so, it really starts off is that, yeah. uh, you know, this, this is actually pretty amusing. Um, in the beginning, Cacoletta disguises herself as an ambassador for the Bean Bean Kingdom, where most of the game takes place in. But she steals Peach's voice and replaces it with explosive dialogue. Literally, every time she opens her mouth, <laughs> prompts appear from the, uh, 
from the speech bubble, then blow up around her. Bowser tries to catch her, but realizes, I can't take her back to my castle. She'll destroy the place. So he wants to go to the Beaming Kingdom so he can get Peach's voice back so he can kidnap her. And Mario figures he'll tag along because, hey, maybe we'll get some help. See, I had forgotten most of that. Thank you. <laughs> I said it's been a while. And, of course, there's the best character in this and all Mario RPGs, which is Fawful. Pretty much. Probably the most popular new villain, new Mario villain in recent years, if not new character. Yeah, I wish I had some Fawful quotes, but I'm sure we can find some. I've got a bunch here. They'll... There's, I have fury! And let's see here. Your lies that I spit on are but a caricature of a cartoon drawn by a kid who is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think Nintendo's translators had a lot of fun when it came to Fawful. They have a lot of fun yes. with this game in general, but definitely with Fawful. Or, oh, here's a good one. Beef? I am lacking in beef. Fawful is beefless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you kind of need that because Cacletta is, well, she's evil, but she's nowhere near the uh, charismatic foe that Fawful is. No, pretty much not. She wants to take over the world using the Bean Star. Pretty, you know, pretty stock there. Yep. She does make for a pretty challenging final boss. I remember that. Oh, I remember that, too, for sure. I don't think I ever got that far. I think I got really bored in the final dungeon <laughs> and kind of quit. Oh. Well, for anybody who doesn't know, the Mario and Luigi games are pretty much very difficult for you to play if you have zero reaction ability. Because... Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> yep. That about sums it up. <laughs> yeah, you need good coordination, good timing. Well, not only for navigating the environments, because you get to hop along a bunch of platforms with an overhead view, and guess what? You get to hit treasure boxes from the bottom and out pop things. But in battle, I assume it is possible, if you are that good, to dodge or strike back every enemy attack in the game. Pretty it much. is theoretically possible. Yep. Yeah. If you're that good. If you're that right. good. I don't know anybody that's that good. I, I could do it with, like, the Goombas by the end of the game. <laughs> well. <laughs> but many of those battles get pretty intense, and you, your reaction abilities have got to be spot on. Flawless. Especially the boss battles, which are pretty tough. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But you can always just grind a little bit. This isn't a very long game, and a few levels goes a long way. So basically how the combat works is um, you have Mario and Luigi on one side of the screen and the enemies on the other side. And it looks like a traditional turn-based thing at first, like you enter in your attack commands to attack. But your attacks have a timed component, timed button press component, which varies depending on the kind of attack. And, when and the Mario, attack- has, Mario is controlled with the, R bu- with the A button and Luigi with the B button, right? Yep. Yep. Something like that. Um, and... Uh, yeah, the when the enemy attacks, you also have to press the button to dodge, or you get hit and it's unhappy. Or counter. Or Eventually counter. Eventually, they yeah. get they get hammers, or they if it's something yeah. that's trying to run at them, they can jump on it. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's also um, a feel of a sort like a lot of like a lot of the enemies or bosses, especially have where you might you must strike it with the right brother or the right attack. Like if it's it's especially like red and green color coded. So maybe it's better to strike it with Luigi's attack or maybe with Mario's attack. So there's that component, too. Yeah, and if you use the wrong one or you jump at the wrong time, then you're in trouble. Yep. 
And what's nice about this combat system is it really kind of makes the whole game feel like, even though it's an RPG, it feels like you're playing a Mario game. You know, unlike unlike the first Mario RPG where it felt kind of just like a Mario-themed RPG, I thought this fit better in kind of the whole platforming series. Yeah, it's more elaborate than the Paper Mario series, too. It has that same timing component, but nowhere near as elaborate. Or yeah, very I, feeling of each a Each character is controlled with one button. <laughs> That's pretty simple. <laughs> and the game automatically has you use the right action with that button in the right situation. Yep. Especially out of combat when they start to learn different abilities that have different effects. I particularly like having one of them smack the other brother into the ground so that you can travel underneath things. (laughs) Or when they go to Oho Island and Mario learns how to use fire. And if he uses that on Luigi when Luigi is in front, then Luigi will run away really, really fast because his butt is on fire. (laughs) And Luigi learns electricity, which will, well, it'll shock Mario as you'd expect. And I forget, is this the one where Mario also can drink water and get really fat and then Luigi jumps on his head and he's like, He's had to spit out water at fire or whatever else needs it. Yeah, the the teamwork attacks are pretty funny. Yeah. Or I think it's Luigi who learns the helicopter maneuver that depends upon Mario holding his arms out at just the right angles. Oh, yeah, they can, that way they can cross large gaps in order to get to the other side. Which can be kind of annoying when you have to use the D-pad to do it. I was wrong. I didn't actually play this game on an emulator. I'm remembering now I played it on my DS. And the DS D-pad, if you recall, is not ideal. No. Definitely. So going diagonally in this game was kind of a pain in the butt. <laughs> Maybe because I don't remember having that kind of problem. I just remember that the flight time is severely limited, so that can get annoying in spots. Oh, yeah. And let's see. Before I need to mention this because I like seeing it in the game. For the finale, when you go up to Bowser's castle and Bowletta sends off minions to get in your way. She sends off the Koopa Kids, who we haven't seen since Super Mario World. <laughs> oh my god, I forgot about that. That was their first in a long time appearance before they appeared in, what was it? One of the Super Mario, like the, that uh, one on the uh, Wii? Yeah, new Super Mario Brothers <laughs> Wii. Yeah, in the longest time, just like, wow, they're still around. <laughs> Poor Koopa yeah, they were kids. in Super Mario 3 and Super Mario World, and then they vanished for <laughs> 12 years. Somebody needs to call Child Protective Services on Bowser. <laughs> Oh, yes. Severely neglected. Clearly, Roy, Lemmy, Larry, Iggy, Wendy Okupa, Ludwig von Koopa, and the seventh one whose name I'm not getting. Oh, Morton. (laughs) Yes, clearly, they've just been kept in a cage all this time. (laughs) Now let them out. (laughs) And they don't even say anything when you fight them. Most of them are just about to set off a bomb and you need to kill them before it goes (laughs) off. But it was still nice to see them for the first time in 12 years. That's just me talking because I played so much of Super Mario 3 and Super Mario World. <laughs> Let's see. But this uh, game is full of memorable moments, like uh, the professor who is in... Professor Egad, you're thinking. I think, I'm assuming. Yes, the guy who... From Luigi's Mansion, that is. Yeah, that did come out before. That was a GameCube launch title. And I mostly remember him saying yabble yabble a lot. Well, he does that in Luigi's Mansion as well. <laughs> Actually, that's a that scene. He, sh- I just want to talk a little bit about that uh, particular instance because uh, he he pops up all the time in a. It's like a it looks like a coffee shop, but they call it Star Beans creatively. 
Because you have to bring beans and then they make coffee from the beans. Because it's a bean bean kingdom. There's a big bean theme, obviously. Yes, but, and as you, once you gain the ability to dig underground, popping up in certain spots will let you nice, useful beans that you can take there to get good stuff. Yeah. Uh, usually, uh, I believe, I think they increase stats. But if you make like a new type of uh, coffee, uh, AEGAD will come and give you a special equipment item of some sort. Originally, though, I sorry, if, if you like, if people look at the game's code, they saw the script and sprites for various um, Nintendo character cameos, but they dropped these at the last minute for some reason. If I remember correctly, there was um, Fox from Star Fox, Link from the Legend of Zelda games. Uh, there was Wario, I believe Samus, and uh, I think like oh yeah, the yeah, Alamar from Pikmin. That's that that one's pretty amusing. If that's they kept that. But yeah, again, they dropped those, but they're still in there if you know how to look at that sort of stuff. You probably find showing hmm. sprites. Wonder why they took those out. Don't know. No one will ever know because Nintendo does not share information like that. That is true. We can only wonder. Um, let's see here. And then the story of Bowser before he becomes possessed by Cacletta is interesting. He's off being a rookie thief with some guy named Popple. <laughs> and you will fight them a couple of times before Popple fights you on his own. And he fights Birdo the last time, actually. <laughs> yes, Birdo is his new rookie assistant, and, and, oh, and that, loves him. <laughs> no, what's funny is that he takes a, like he takes a look at Birdo and said, like he kind of like he doesn't know to call her a guy or a girl, and just it settles on Dame. Like one of the few times Nintendo will acknowledge Birdo's gender ambiguity. <laughs> I don't know. The fact that Birdo really, really likes Popple and eats him at the end, that might mean something else. She liked him so much she wanted him inside her. Oh, jeez. Oh, no. (laughs) That's language you will not hear from this game. No. The game is is definitely just pure silliness, which is good. <laughs> Out of all the Mario RPGs, this like these games are definitely just the wackiest and the most both the right like the writers and the translators just probably had a lot of fun just coming up with the wacky stuff going on in this. And the fun Let's see, and we get to learn all about Luigi's character in this game, which is that he is a craven coward who will only do things when Mario gets in his face about it, pretty much. Or somebody else that <laughs> doesn't have to. Do <laughs> I think. Oh no! They might have. <laughs> Oh no! Poor Luigi. He tends to be the butt of various jokes. I can't remember anything from this game specifically, but from the other ones, he usually gets hit by something or someone, or is the first one to get knocked into something. Don't is it? Don't they always like not know who the heck he is? Oh yeah, they're always like the green guy. <laughs> hey, it's Mario! <laughs> it's oh, and Mario. who's this guy? Who's and the green like, guy? <laughs> Even Bowser can't remember his name, like, uh, even in later games. He just calls him Green Stash. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Luigi. This is what he gets for having his brother be the title of every game. <laughs> even though it's his last name, too. Um, and as for Mario, well, his deep character is further expanded upon as he does more heroic things. Yep. <laughs> and and it has great dialogue like the shaking of his head yes. <laughs> or oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yep. Let's <laughs> go. Or um 
Oh, yo, oh. <laughs> that might have been Luigi, but or random Italianish gibberish. A tradition that this game inaugurated, and the other games were happy to continue. Mm-hmm. Luigi does that too. Just well, yeah. Although I they think are... it's, I swear in the third one, Mario throws the word potato at the end of one of his statements. Hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> yes, potatoes being native to Italy, after all. <laughs> okay, I, I should be remembering uh, individual scenarios from this, and I'm trying my hardest. But aside from the finale, well, there's the there's a scene where you meet Prince Peasley because he was he was turned into a monster by Cacletta, and then after you defeat the monster, he like he sort of he appear he appears from it and thanks the Mario Brothers from defeating his monster self, and then he kind of helps him out, but mostly tries to show off. He rides a flying bean, I guess, and he <laughs> smile literally lights up the room. Like every time he smiles, it oh yes, flash. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So there's yeah he he's one of the minor characters. He yes, and his mother one. was the queen of the Bean Bean Kingdom, and I seem to remember her being very very big, but that could be me remembering wrongly. She was rather um yeah big. You actually have to and fight the, the boss for one at, at one point because Cacletta cap, like puts some kind of mon- like the worm or cap, or spell on her that turns her evil and makes her attack the Mario Brothers. And they had to go to get, as I remember, some kind of special soda. Yes, in they order have to. to it. They go to the Chuckle Huck Woods. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> to get Chocola Reserve. That's because that's another odd thing about the Bean Bean Kingdom. Other than the Bean theme, there's also the laughing theme. Yes. And then the other other locations are uh, have names like Woohoo Hooniversity, <laughs> which is where you fight Cacletta. I remember yes. that. And where you found the Bean Star too, as I recall. Yep. Which promptly shattered into four pieces you had to go then find all of. Oh, yeah, because that's, that. that's also amazing. Because uh, apparently they somehow got wind of Cacletta's plan, people in the Bean Bean Kingdom. So they hid Peach and disguised a Birdo as her. So the voice Cacletta stole was actually a, that Birdo's. And when they, when they tried to use the voice on the Bean Star instead of awakening and granting her wish, it got angry and shattered. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I remember that now. And doing that involved an underwater segment that was at least different. Slow moving, but underwater segments in Mario games are always slower moving. Or wasn't that the one where they literally had to fix a bunch of pipes? Because it was a pipe system that was the lock on the Bean Stars, I recall. That's like, hey, the Mario Brothers are doing actual plumbing. <laughs> <laughs> that oh, been, yeah. I'm surprised I can remember this much. Yeah, I'm trying to remember... I don't remember exactly what they were doing underwater. I just remember spending a fair amount of time there and having but to go up to the surface. Oh, sorry. There was an underwater segment, but I think it was to get to the island where the Oho Gs, whatever they were called, were living. Yes, in the ancient temple of Oho Island that teaches Mario how to use fire. Imagine that, a Mario brother learning how to use fire from his palm and Luigi <laughs> how to use lightning. Which they never <laughs> used any of the other two games for some bizarre reason. Although they did have that fire flower special in one in both of the games, I think, but not as a ability to use in the overworld. Well, you know, the next game had the babies along, and fire and babies don't mix so well. True. <laughs> not <laughs> even <laughs> Mario babies. <laughs> <laughs> and while I'm thinking about it, yeah, let's mention the final battle because it was fairly nasty. 
very long. I remember I lost the first time and I got really annoyed. I put it away for a day, then went back to it and finally managed to beat her. Well, I beat the first form without too much trouble, where it's just Bowser just with uh, Cackletta's features so that he looks freaking weird. But then you beat the, you beat Bowletta that way and you go inside Bowser to fight the true soul of Cackletta. And uh, yeah, this is a multiple phase thing where you first have, need to knock off her arms or something in order to expose her core. And then you whack it a few times and the arms come back. And each t- with each hit, she gets faster and her attacks last longer and they hit really hard. And if you don't have great reaction time, then you're going to be pretty strong or she's going to rip you apart. Yeah, that was very nasty. That was, like, yeah. that was one of the hardest I played at the time. I <sighs> hardest boss fights, that is. It took me like almost a half hour to beat her, I think, too. I just remember going out and grinding for a little while, and then I came back, and not only did I take the first form out in a few turns because I was so much stronger, but I was able to beat her in her final form. It's a good thing grinding in this game is just pretty fun and easy. Mm-hmm. Just wander around stomping on people. I mean, you barely need it except for that final boss, too. Yeah, that's true. Most, most of the game is... I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's um, not over, overly challenging. Yeah. I think it was like level 25 when I took on Bowletta slash Cacklet. It was just like, it was the last time I had to level this low in an RPG. <laughs> Finish it off. I I forgot what I was going to say. That's a, that's a common occurrence as I get older. It's a good. Mamma mia. Okie dokie. <laughs> yeah, any more memorable locations and fights from this game? I remember fighting a big plant that was occupying a runway at one point. Oh, yeah. I think I vaguely remember that. Hmm. But just because I, I'm not remembering it with the most pristine clarity doesn't mean anything because it has been a good five years or so since I last played it, and I did play it more than once, and that usually says something good. No, it's a good time. It's a, it's a fun little game. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Very it's much. A, it's a little bit easier to get into than uh, the Paper Mario games. A little bit of a faster pace. Yeah, that and I actually owned the hardware to play this one at the time, whereas <laughs> I never touched an N64 in my life, and my brief time with the GameCube was not enough to partake of Paper Mario, sadly. It's a fairly short game, too. Definitely no... More than no more than thirty hours, and you're more likely to finish it before then. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah, you can easily finish it in twenty to twenty-five hours. I'd say it's, there is some stuff to hunt around for if you like. You mean it's not a Shin Megami Tensei eighty-hour extravaganza? Oh no. <laughs> oh, it's, you. it's taken me like fifteen hours now to get through just the second of like eight dungeons and. I don't know. <laughs> also, Mara does not make an appearance in Super, in, in, uh, Superstar Saga. There you go. All right, so... Oh, and uh, I, I know we'll talk about this more as we go along, but uh, Yoko Shimomura did the soundtrack for this game, as she does for a whole lot of games, honestly. And even though the GBA sound quality is, as usual, not particularly great, the tunes are quite enjoyable. Nice, bouncy, energetic, and fun to hear. Quite fitting for the games. There's some interesting ones in the later in the later games that I'll talk about then. That mm, well, yeah, <laughs> not in a bad way, just odd. But again, we'll get to that later. <laughs> so it sounds like overall, you guys would generally recommend this to our backtrack audience. 
Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. This is this is not just a really fun Mario game. I'd say it's one of the best games on the GBA. You know, and the writing especially is just uh, hilarious. Yeah, the advantage of the advantage of the, of the two Mario um, RPGs, the ones I played, this one, um, the next one, over the Paper Mario games, is that the writing is still top notch, but they know when to stop. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot. Better, it's better written and just it's funnier too. So it's just it really jumped out at you a lot more than the Paper Mario. You. <laughs> You, and even I the mini games, Mario, there are mini games in here, and I didn't mind them because they're actually fun. You hear that developers know when to stop. <laughs> Alrighty, well, fair enough. Well, speaking of knowing when to stop, we're going to stop here for a few moments, take a break, and we'll be right back to talk about Partners in Time. Partners in Time, developed by Alpha Dream, published by Nintendo, released here in North America on November 28, 2005. This is a single-player RPG video game experience for your Nintendo DS, rated E for everyone, and this game must be better because it's on a 512 megabit card. That's like, oh my gosh, that's like four times the amount of megabits than the last game we talked about, so this must be four times as good, and it has two times as many characters. So I mean, yeah, Bill, you know, don't talk about the bits and bytes anymore. You're gonna you're gonna <laughs> make Mr. Apps remember awesome. Mega Man X3. No, no, stop it. Ooh, let me Why look would up. You do that. Let me look up how many Mega Bits that one had, and we can compare it with Mario and Luigi. Let's see, Mega Man no. X3. X3. Do that God, all right. Personating the Mario babies and <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, that one. Oh, it came on a oh a 16 megabit ROM cartridge. So this well, it had Capcom Special Super FX. No, it was it was a different <laughs> FX chip. I'm I'm telling you, this game has like I don't know, like thirty more times megabits than than the Mega Man. I'm sorry. I don't know, Becky. You're reminding me actually of Yoshi's Island. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. that's true. And anybody who's played that remembers Baby Mario. Oh, I hate it. <laughs> All right. This is the second game in the Mario & Luigi RPG series, the sequel to Mario & Luigi Superstar Stega for the Game Boy Advance. So, who wants to take it away by talking about the oh-so-deep story? Should I take it? Go for it, Cassandra Ramos. Go. Yep. Okay, so then, uh, there's, again, in the, in the Mushroom Kingdom, Peach decides to hitch a ro- like to go on to... Uh, Professor Egad's newest invention, a time machine. She takes a couple of her uh, toad retainers, but the time machine returns, but not with Peach in it. In fact, it'll, it, what comes back is an alien monster. 
as it turns out, the past has been invaded by an evil alien race of mushrooms called the Shroobs. And they are there to take over the Mushroom Kingdom. And I'm assuming the rest of the world from there, because there's more to the world to the Mushroom Kingdom, as I understand it. But yeah, so the brothers travel back to the past to try to find Peach, but they instead, they also run into their, um, their selves as babies. Baby Mario, baby Luigi. They also meet baby Princess Peach, whose crying is probably more irritating than any of theirs, but <laughs> different story entirely. And they run into baby Bowser at one point. Yes, they actually a bunch of points. He kind of he's a recurring villain, more annoying them than anything. Although he does team up with his older stuff. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Don't uh, try to work out the logic of that. It it should bend the universe into a par- permanent paradox, but it somehow doesn't. No. So then they team up their young their their younger selves, and both groups of brothers, you know, fight off the shrooms to save the Mushroom Kingdom, essentially, because they're just basically stopping them from one place to another, and uh, yeah. Not really much. Although, should I get to the? I guess in the the ending's kind of unusual because when you you have to uh, stop the shrubs, you have you they the brothers think they have to recombine the uh, the the cobalt star, the MacGuffin of this game that apparently powered the uh, time machine, and the cobalt star its spirit tells them that it's the only thing that can stop the shrubs. They do this, but as it turns out, the cobalt star was hot, holding their leader, the the elder princess shrub, because their actual leader, the princess shrub was just the second in command. Her older sister was trapped in the Cobalt Star. And, of course, they have to fight her as the last boss. And she's not as she's tough... Not, not as tough she's as Cac- still uh, no joke. No, no, she's still tough, but not as tough as Cacoletta. I remember going off and grinding again to get ready for that finale because fighting the sister, the one that's uh, better looking, the one who posed as Princess Peach... Uh, yeah, she does that. That, was, that wasn't too bad. And then out pops the ugly sister, and uh, ow, she hit she hit me. She hit me very hard. That wasn't nice. Yeah, I was never able able to beat her. But and I remember I that did, taking place. I didn't try her. grinding or anything. It did take a long time, but I did manage to beat her. Not as long as Cacolet, as I recall. But I think the brothers were all level thirty, so it wasn't too difficult. I don't remember what I was. Maybe thirty five. I I really can't remember though. And aside from one small cameo, if you take the babies down into a sewer pipe so that the adult Mario brothers don't see him, you will see no Fawful in this game. No, he's, he's, he's a, it's extra. He's a shopkeeper. Although he does point that he will, at some future point, rise up again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's not get into too much foreshadowing. It's Indeed. not as if people come to these games strictly for the great plot twists and oh-so-compelling characters. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's um, one- this one point in the story that gets somewhat of a, a darker than you might expect from a Mario game. Because in, in one of the earliest parts, you, have, you try to go into this uh, forest where the shrooms have set up a factory. As it turns out, they take toads, trap them in these special trees that drain them of their life energy so they can use it to power up their spaceships. It's actually kind of creepy because you actually see these, like, a, like looks like a toad like a, in agony carved into a tree until you find out it's an actual toad trapped in a tree. <laughs> I mean, this species is pretty wacky, although the sort of alien invasion plot is somewhat darker than you might expect. But still, that's kind of creepy. Yeah, and the shrubs in and of themselves just look like, well, sort of alien zombie versions of the Mushroom Kingdom's usual residents. Oh, actually, now I remember. The, uh, the opening narration really stressed the creepiness, because it's like on this creepy planet, there's a creepy race of creepy aliens or something like that. They really wanted to do, like, get a point across. They're creepy. 
but they don't they don't have a whole lot of personality compared to Fawful or Tacletta or even Bowser. No, definitely not. I mean, they can't even speak English, although for some reason their weird alien chatter sometimes gets translated underneath. It doesn't really explain how. Yeah, most of the time they just speak in pictographs. Yeah, basically. Yep. Except the Elder Princess Shrew could speak English. For, I don't know, maybe because she was trapped in the Cobalt Star and picked up on it or something. <laughs> she didn't have enough time to become a memorable character, though. No. And, and it's not terribly surprising, considering that Mario and Luigi hardly speak English. So. <laughs> oh, actually, now there's another thing to bring up. They actually brought in a sort of exposition fairy character in the form of a talking suitcase named Stuffwell. Oh, not, yes. He's not Stuffwell. Yeah. I hate that stupid thing. <laughs> yeah, that thing was annoying. Yeah, annoying and just pretty much like he just provided exposition, like, oh no, you must do this and that and that. Just like the first game didn't need this. What are you doing here? <laughs> Not really a part of the story either. He's just there to <laughs> and provide the like provide the talking that the brothers can't really do. Although I, I do have to say the stuff will interface was actually pretty cool. It basically, it basically serves as your interface, and it, it kind of looks like you're on vacation. And you're in, and you're in the story. <laughs> and speaking of the babies, in a roundabout way, since the DS has four face buttons where the GBA had only two, the babies now get to correspond with the X and Y buttons, so you better keep track of what you're doing in combat. Hmm. Yay! And you had the hammers, too. If you wanted to use the hammers, you, know, you had to have the babies with you, because... You could separate them because you could press a button to have the brothers throw the babies off so the babies could be by themselves or the brothers could be by themselves. You had to press their corresponding buttons to control them separately. If you got in a, bat- in a separate battle, the Mario brothers can't use hammers and the baby Mario brothers can't. So, well, they can jump and they can use hammers, but they're not as strong. They're nowhere near as strong as their elder selves. For some but, reason, babies just don't have the physical stamina of adults. I don't know why. Well, they're really strong for babies. True. <laughs> I, but yes, a lot of the overworld puzzles involve separating the babies from the grown-ups and the babies going into places that the grown-ups can't fit, or the grown-ups jumping in places that the babies can't get to and stuff like that. Or throwing the babies on some higher platform so they could hit a switch so the brothers, the older brothers can get up there or some such. Yeah. Yeah, plenty of, like, there's pretty... Not very, definitely not difficult puzzles, but then it kind of needs how you can figure out, like, okay, there's this, that, and the other thing. So I need to do this with this set of brothers and that with that brothers in order to get to the next room. Yep. And it made good use of the dual screens on the DS. So, Yeah, they really stressed that in this game. Even with, like, the uh, enemy battles, some enemies might stretch it to the top screen and you have to keep a watch out to where its projectile was aiming for and such. Yeah. I think even some of the special abilities use that, too. Yes, yes. Special items. Yeah, that's kind of odd. Instead of using uh, having special abilities that took up FP in this case, instead of like MP or TP like other games, uh, they used I- items which could be reduced. Like you could have 10 of some of one such thing and 30 of another or what have you. And these items would initiate special attacks. There was uh, Koopa shells to, you know, ricochet between two sets of brothers or they had a, a trampoline where you, so that you, they jump up and you have to specially time the correct oh. button. And it gets back. Oh, yes. I was terrible at that one. <laughs> kind of damage with that, though. So you well, have pretty to much, pretty it. much all of the special moves in these games. Once you get to higher levels of them, you need to have excellent reactions. Yeah, very yeah. good reflexes. And it kind of gets frustrating when you're just like, ah, how did I press that stupid button? <laughs> no, no, wrong button, no. Yeah, that's why I usually use like 
low to medium difficulty levels of those abilities. <laughs> the one the one where Luigi pauses in the air and it goes B B B B and you go B <laughs> That was about my speed. <laughs> yeah, I used to consider myself a pretty good action gamer, but I guess my skills have atrophied as I get older. I'm no longer very good at it. I'd say a, a lot of the abilities in this are harder than like an actual action game. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, just just using the bear ability will do almost no damage. You need to get your button pressing in the right order and at the right timing if you want to do anything better than just There's picking a, a standard attack. Yeah, that a, yeah exactly. It's a regular jump or hammer smash or something. Yep. Well, let's see. I seem to remember the game looking pretty much the same as the first game did, which is fine because the first game looked fine. Yep. But if I had to rank them, I would put this one at the bottom. Again, it's not a bad game at all. Just the, the shrubs really don't have much personality except they're evil toadstools. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and also, it's a, it was a pretty darn linear game, too, because you could explore all, pretty much all of the Bean Bean Kingdom. But this one, you had to you jumped across different time portals to this place or another. Although I did really like the Yoshi's Island one. That was my favorite level. It ha- even had a Yoku Shimomura remix of the Yoshi's Island title screen theme. Really cool. <laughs> now, there were a lot of good locations in this game, but it just didn't seem to have as much charm as the original game. Yeah, we're disconnected, yeah. though. Yeah. And yeah, the, the, just the linearity made it... I don't know. It just felt, not... a, it felt a bit too constricting. That like, may you have know, something to do with how early this came in the DS's lifespan, because for that to RPG? happen, it couldn't have been in development very long. Was yeah. it the first RPG on the DS, or definitely one of the first? <laughs> it was one of the first. It came in yeah. mid-2005, I think. Yeah. Oh, wait, uh, here's a, actually uh, getting back to a little point in the story. Definitely one of the most ridiculous uh, things is that a lot of the Mushroom Kingdom has been covered in like these shrub mushrooms, or have been shrubified, if you will. And what can take care of this? Baby tears. Not just regular <laughs> tears, baby tears. Luigi cried on a, a shrub mushroom and it disappeared. Oh, yes, so, of course. Baby Luigi cries a lot while baby Mario doesn't. Yep. He does a little once in a while. Although, oh, he's actually this, uh, really this kind of funny. Lu- apparently, baby Luigi, despite crying more, is somehow braver than his older self. He actually tries to push his older self to do certain things. <laughs> just like, wow, how did this happen? What was the trauma in Luigi's life that caused him to become craven? We may never know. <laughs> I kind of hope we never know. Why, <laughs> <laughs> well, Becky, don't you think that Nintendo can tell us a wowful story about the great character-forming moments of the Mario Brother lives? I think Shigeru Miyamoto would go apeshit on them if they tried to do that. <laughs> uh, we'll just go with um, he saw himself animated in the late 80s and leave it there, I think. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe, himself- he's, maybe he saw the Super Mario Brothers movie. I was yeah. about to say that. That's probably what did it. <laughs> I'm played by John Leguizamo. How did that happen? <laughs> I think we're running short of topics on partners in time. Okay. Uh, just one, one other thing. The, the, the music. Most of it's pretty much the same and some pretty neat remixes of Mario themes. But one that is, which is kind of good by itself, but sticks out like a sore thumb, has to be the theme for fighting the Elder Princess Shroob. Sort of the, more, probably more the last boss theme than the actual last boss, because that seemed more like some kind of mini game. But 
anyway, I get the it's sort of like this. It's, it sounds really like ominous and almost a little sad, but why? Why are you sad about the freaking shrooms? It's like <laughs> it's a good theme, but it, but with the game, it really clashes. Because since she looks kind of like Princess Peach, you're supposed to think about how nasty it would be if someone beat up Princess Peach. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just just random. It's just like okay, it's pretty nice, but it really doesn't fit with this game <laughs> or with Mario in general. <laughs> Speaking of random, this is one of the few DS games that supported the DS Rumble Pack for some reason. Huh. Yeah. It was pretty useless, but supported it. I didn't know that because I yeah. didn't have a DS Rumble Pack. <laughs> I almost Most forgot. people did not. <laughs> oh, Nintendo and your useless accessories for your handhelds. <laughs> See, also, the GBA Micro Pack thing. Whatever it was called, the oh, Circle Pad Pro. Mm. Yeah, I was gonna say, where there's the 3DS Circle Pad Pro <laughs> abomination. The Frankenstein. Yeah, I am not going to put that on my 3DS. <laughs> I don't really blame you, especially because my 3DS has a really pretty custom-made skin on it. <laughs> Just ruin the aesthetic. I think we really are running out of partners and time topics. Oh, I, I had a random question. Did this game did this game come out before or after um, Super Mario Sunshine? It came after. Okay. Yeah, Sunshine came out in '02, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was so wondering if popped up in there. I was wondering if uh, this was the first appearance of Bowser Jr. Well, no, no that was Bowser Jr. That was. That was baby Bowser, although he kind of looked like Bowser Jr. anyway. Yeah, that's what that's what confused me when I first played this game. I was like, huh? Is that the origin of this Bowser Jr.? <laughs> no, that's supposed to be baby Bowser as in the baby Bowser from Yoshi's Island and Yoshi's story. It actually kind of references Yoshi's Island too, but this being Mario, it's probably more of a gag than an actual continuity hint because it's Mario for crying out loud. <laughs> Yeah, not to mention that they kind of play extremely loose with uh, time travel. <laughs> Very loose. That's right, that's right. <laughs> Kamek is in here. Yeah, the Kamek. magician Koopa from Yoshi's Island. Yes, yes, he's there. I don't remember if he uses his magic to make any of your enemies super big, though. No, you fight him once, but otherwise he doesn't do anything like that. He does uh, take after the, the baby Bowser, call him Prince Bowser. And I, re- I recall the random scene where he tried... He gives Bowser some milk because he's choking on some cookies, and he says it's from an evil cow. I'm like, okay, that's random. <laughs> yeah, how do you determine whether a cow is evil? You'd think it wouldn't give you milk, you know? <laughs> if it kicks you in the head after you milk it. I don't think that describes an evil cow. That just describes almost any cow. <laughs> There's that. Now we've really run dry of partners in time <laughs> topics. Pretty Cowabunga? It's very similar. It's very similar to the Cowabunga oh. takes us back to Michael Bay, which we shouldn't do right now. No, let's not. Nobody wants to hear that right now. Imagine if Michael Bay directed a Mario Brothers movie. Please don't. Don't think that's that. You're really out to hurt people with that, aren't you? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, let's just bring up more remakes while we're here. Yeah, let's, that Total Recall remake, doesn't that sound like a good idea? See, now I'm no. just imagining how skimpy the uh, remade Princess Peach dress would turn out to be. <laughs> 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 I 
Are you sure uh, Princess yes. Peach would be the alien? Michael Bay, uh, there would be many shots focusing on her butt. And her that... navel, because of course it would be a navel-bearing Princess Peach dress. Oh, yes. Of course. Probably riding on the back of a motorcycle at many points. <laughs> hmm. uh... Okay. Phil's not coming back, so we're going to have to transition <laughs> this ourselves. <laughs> I'm watching you carefully from a distance. <gasps> I'm everywhere and nowhere. Phil, you remind, me of, you remind me of a good riff in the Daredevil riff tracks, wherein one of them says, I am personally glad that we live in a world where Ben Affleck does not watch over us. <laughs> <laughs> I am inside your head. And I'm inside your story when we come back with Mario and Luigi Bowser's Inside Story. on to the third and last game in the Mario Luigi trilogy. We got Mario Luigi Bowser's Inside Story, developed once again by Alpha Dream, published by Nintendo. This was released here in North America on September 14th, 2009. A single-player action RPG experience for your Nintendo DS handheld console system. This is rated E for everyone. Take it away, because I know nothing about it aside from the fact that they end up in his stomach at some point. <laughs> yes, and the central dynamic is that when you're Mario and Luigi, you are inside Bowser navigating his various bodily orifices and slowly unlocking more of them, and they are controlled with the A and the B button. And when you are Bowser, who is as clueless as ever, wandering around, wondering, what's going on, in- what's going on inside me? Ah, that felt funny. You control his punch with the X button and his breath with the wire button with the Y button, and that sticks to the battles too. So you're giving all of the buttons on the face of the DS a workout instead of just the A button, like most games. Hmm. But because you're because uh, they never actually well, they do fight together a couple of special times, but most of the time you don't have to worry about keeping your reflexes for all four buttons going simultaneously. And they also, Bowser also gets a couple of neat little moves from Mario and Luigi, unlocking special hidden abilities inside him. Like, he can, uh, he can jump, he can sort of use his shell to jump up and then slam down, which he can use to hit switches, or he can curl up into a ball to pull like such. So there's that, too. It's not just, it's just like the Mario Brothers who still have to get, like, their pound, one, you know, pound Mario to the ground to, to dig up something or go underneath someplace or to spin across gaps and such. So that's pretty neat. Yeah. And naturally, Bowser's cavernous interior yields many interesting things for the brothers to do, but what they're doing isn't too much different from what they've done in the other games. It's still fun, but it's not too much different. When you're with Bowser, that's when things get different. And occasionally, I believe it is four times total, 
something will happen inside Bowser that will make him grow to a gargantuan size, and you need to turn the DS on its side, and you need to get that stylus out, and you control his actions, smashing something really, really big. Yeah, those are a lot of fun, but you probably don't want to be in public because you'll have to use his fire breath, and to simulate that, you blow into the microphone, and you look pretty silly doing that. It's a ton of yes, fun. I, re I remember doing that, and I was not in public at the time. I don't know what the reaction would have been had I been there. Well, I wasn't either, but I was just thinking, should I play this section? No, not right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a risk. <laughs> and let's see, the overall plot... Well, we had some foreshadowing. Guess who's back? And now he's the lead villain. It's Fawful. I have Fury. <laughs> yes, have he has many variants on that line. I have Chortles. Uh, <laughs> and later I have Darkness, but yeah, that's skipping ahead. <laughs> and he so, had a minion of his own now, and I can't remember that minion at all. Midbus, kind of like some kind of monster pig of some sort who has his own bizarre speech pattern, but it's hard to say. It's like he speaks simply, but he also repeats himself. It's just like, I don't know if he's picked it up from Quaffle or he just decided, okay, this guy speaks funny, let me speak funny too. Actually, they turned up Quaffle's bizarre speech patterns up to 11 in this one. <laughs> Maybe, that could be just because he talks more, though. Yeah, when you're the henchman, you don't get nearly as many opportunities for dialogue as you do when you're the lead villain who's off. Uh, what was his plot? It was he basically he wants to take over the mushroom kingdom, but he also wants to get his hands on an artifact, which they which to me they kind of introduced all of a sudden called the Dark Star. But at his, his first task is to spread a disease called the Blorbs by tricking Toads into eating these strange mushrooms, and it makes them inflate to ridiculously huge proportions, and they can't move. So it gets all the heads of like all the important people in the mushroom kingdom together into Peach's castle to discuss what to do. And then as they're all gathered there, uh, Bowser attacks for the millionth time ever. And <laughs> they, you know, uh, Mario beats him back. I don't think Luigi joins. I think Luigi might have been just sleeping or something. But Bowser's all distraught. And then a mysterious character who looks suspiciously like a certain small beanish villain gives him a mushroom <laughs> that enables him to to uh, it turns his turns it to like a his um like his mouth into a, a giant vacuum, vacuum right suck everything in. So he goes back and uses this on everybody in the uh, castle and sucks everybody in there, including Mario, Luigi, and Princess Peach, into his body. And that's where we get the inside story and Mario and Luigi um, travel, like, traveling inside him. But on the overworld, Waffle just is teasing Bowser, saying, you're, you know, you're doing exactly as I planned. Now I'm going to go take over the Mushroom Kingdom. But first, I'm going to take over your castle. Bowser's just like, no, you you can't do that. And he goes to, he goes to his castle by, like, through a very long way through various um, places. And by the time he gets there, Waffles has indeed taken over his castle, so now he's really angry. And throughout the game, he's trying to get revenge on Waffle for taking over his castle, brainwashing most of his minions, except for the couple that he basically uses as his um, special attacks in the game. And uh, also stopping him from taking over the Mushroom Kingdom, because, hey, the Mushroom Kingdom is his to take over, not Waffle. So Bowser is helping, sort of kind of helping, helping out the brothers, but indirectly. It's not like Super Mario RPG, where, they're willing, where he's more or less willingly... Helping them out, he's unintentionally, because he has no idea the brothers are inside of him. Although, uh, there's, that kind of talks about the other, like, the other mi like semi-minor, but probably one-time character in here. That's more of a character than Stuffwell, but still acts like the exposition fairy. Uh, Starlo, the little star sprite. She comes there to try to help the Mushroom Kingdom through the Blorbs crisis, but... That's a she? <laughs> yes, it's a she. 
I know it's hard to tell because it's a you know it's a yellow. It looks like Pac-Man. Yeah, it's a yellow ball with um, feet, but she's supposed to be a she. They 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 call her a she every so often. Oh, oh, I'm looking at the illustration. Yeah, yes, prominent eyelashes. That's which it. You can't, which, you can't, <laughs> which, you, which you can't really tell in her sprite, but either way. So she's in there. She's help. She's giving like bits of dialogue, but she's also um, actually part of the story because she talks to Bowser and gets Bowser to go to places to try to help them to save the Mushroom Kingdom. She disguises herself, calls herself Chippy, but Bowser just like, well, okay, I don't know who this person inside me is, but she helps me get these interesting powers, so I'll just go along more or less with what she says, although sometimes grudgingly. It's an amusing... Yeah, he, doesn't, he doesn't actually see her until the very end. I just yeah. remember him going, there's that voice in my head again. What's it, what's it asking me to do now? Eh, why not? I, I don't yeah. have anything better to do. <laughs> he doesn't always like it. Like, at one point, he tries to get her to do something, and then she's like... No, I won't say it until you say please. And just like, fine, please. <laughs> they have a bizarre pseudo-friendship going on or something, but <laughs> it's actually pretty amusing to watch. Again, a lot more of a character than Stuffwell ever was. Even though <laughs> she's, still, she's hardly a deep character, but she's at least amusing. I think at one point she headbutts Luigi to try to get him to fight a boss, too. I don't think anyone should come to a Mario game in search of deep characterization. Anyone no. who does is going to be very disappointed. Pretty much. So yeah, that's the gist of the plot. Waffle tries to take over the Mushroom Kingdom, except for that that uh, Dark Star, which is like an ancient artifact that will only, like it's like pretty much made of pure evil. And if an evil being gets his hands on it, it will turn really powerful. So of course Waffle wants it. Bowser wants it too, but he has to fight Waffle for it, and he never really gets his hands on it, fortunately. Although the the although the final boss is pretty interesting in that regards. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I remember the final bosses of the first two, but. This one is kind of throwing me for a loop. It's a dark. It's dark Bowser because Bowser swallows. I think part of the dark star unintentionally, or I think it goes inside him. It starts to copy him so that it can form a like this like this darker, eviler version of Bowser. But of course, Bowser fights his evil twin dark star thing because hey, the dark the dark star wants to destroy the Mushroom Kingdom. He can't destroy the Mushroom Kingdom because Bowser can't take over. <laughs> So, yeah, he fights him at the last boss, and it's, uh, it's a lot shorter and a bit easier than the other ones, but really cool, like, really fun, actually. Because uh, the trick to that one is that he's, he's fighting Dark Bowser. Dark Bowser only has 1,000 a, a HP, which at that, you should be around level 25 to 30 pretty easily and can probably take him mm-hmm. out in like, two or three turns. And that, but he, uh, but after, as he, after he sort of not gets knocked out, the, the Dark Star Core, which Fwaffle has merged with, which, it's really freaky. It's like a, it's Waffle's head, but with like spider legs or something. He'll uh, revive uh, Dark Bowser, and Dark Bowser will turn bigger, not unlike what the Mario Brothers do to Bowser whenever Bowser's in mortal danger. And then uh, he'll throw a bunch of dark minions at Bowser. That and he has about yeah, like Bowser has to try to walk back to Dark Bowser, fighting all the minions by punching them or dodging them using his shell. And then after that, you have to punch Dark Bowser in the stomach so he can cough up Freaky Fwaffle, as I like to call him. <laughs> and then suck him out using the vacuuming ability. After that, the Mario Brothers can fight Dark Core Fwaffle, Freaky Fwaffle, whatever it is, inside of Bowser. Okay, yeah, I, I remember this now. How you, Bowser needs to suck him down in order for the Mario Brothers to actually damage the final boss. Yeah, that's the actual final boss. The Dark, the dark Bowser is just basically uh, the, the thing that holds him there and will keep getting revived until... Dark Waffle, Dark Core Waffle, whatever is defeated. It actually took me a little while because I didn't realize until like the third time I went through that cycle 
that I had to punch Dark Bowser in the stomach. Just like, how many times do I have to beat this guy until <laughs> I assumed I had to get him to cough up dark, uh, dark Waffle? But I didn't know how to do that until I realized, hey, I could t- target his stomach. Wham! And then it's actually pretty, again, it's again, it's pretty darn easy to take him out. It took me like two times with the uh, brothers to take down Dark Core, Dark Star, Freaky Waffle, and then end of the game. Although, even that, like, the uh, final, like, last punch is also really cool, because, um, when, because as it's more of a, it's sort of a, more of a, ma- like, of a, like, a mini game of sorts, instead of an actual uh, battle, because you have to uh, pound the X button as fast as possible so Bowser can charge up his punches and punch away Dark Bowser. The final one, he just really slams into him, and then Dark Bowser just disintegrates, and the Dark Star along with him. Leaving behind the freaky fwaffle that blows up and which somehow forces the brothers out of about gut. I'm assuming that's not the last of him since he looked like he died in the first game too. So, <laughs> yeah, he was powering that uh, that funky Rube Goldberg device to protect Cacletta, and you need to go through multiple phases in order to open it up and damage him. And then when it blew up, well, looked like we'd seen the last of Fawful, but he's a survivor. So I'm sure it'll probably show up as some kind of secret boss in the next one, assuming they ever make a next one. But, it'll but yeah. happen. Yeah, but regardless, that, ha- that, that happens. And, oh, this is actually pretty amusing, because when they pop out of Bowser's gut, he is so furious that the Mario <laughs> Brothers were inside him, running around doing who knows what. He attacks him. He's just like, I can't believe you guys were inside me. That is so gross. But you don't, you don't fight him, because that's at the credits roll. Yeah, it's, it fades to black right there. Yeah. Oh, the credits roll, and you get to see like these stills of the the brothers fighting Bowser, beating Bowser, and then seeing both Bowser's castle and Peach's castle being repaired and redecorated from Waffles' uh, machinations. And the very end is actually really cute because there Bowser's recovering in his castle because I don't know, maybe he's really exhausted from the uh, trip, or maybe he's because the Mario Brothers just beat him up again. Oh yeah, yeah. that's true. So then he's he's, he's still recovering from that. And so then, you'd think he would be in the hospital almost all of his life since they beat him up all the time. <laughs> well, I guess it wasn't that bad. So he's there, <laughs> and he's being attended by his uh, minions, including some that had uh, betrayed him and fought for Fwaffle for a while, begging him for to work for him again. He's just like, fine, fine, just, you know, get out of my sight. And <laughs> at the end, uh, Chippy, no, not Chippy, oh, yeah, it was Chippy slash Starlo comes along and gives Bowser a gift. And he's kind of angry at first because he's just like, he doesn't want to see them because they beat him up after all that. But he opens the present and what's inside? A cake baked by Princess Peach. That sort of thank, which is an odd thank you. For, they did help, he did help him out despite all that happened. Yeah, it's, it fits with Peach too because she seems unable to remember from day to day anything more than, well, yes, he kidnapped me for the 50th time. But other than that and him wanting to conquer my kingdom and rule it, he seems like a decent guy. He's just really slow. I should be nice to him. He did help him out, if unintentionally. It's true. Although, it was, well, I don't know if it's sort of his fault, because it was Fawful that got him to eat the mushroom, but it was his vacuuming that pretty much set everything in motion in the first place. <laughs> eh, Fawful would have found some way. Well, yeah, that pretty much was just Fawful controlling things from the beginning. I mean, I guess he's a mad scientist type, so I'm sure he'd be... Uh, Easy for him to calculate. You know, the Blorbs will get all these people connected and I could get Bowser to do this, that, and the other thing. His only miscalculation was that the brothers actually managed to help Bowser instead of, I don't know, getting digested or something. Well, I don't think making a key part of your plan trick Bowser takes too many factors into... uh, uh, is a bad idea. 
True, true. So, sounds like you had a lot of fun with it. It's, it's, I, I, prefer, I prefer this over the uh, first game myself. It's a lot of fun. It's a little bit um, more compact because since you have to go inside of Bowser and on the overworld, um, the overworld is a lot shorter. But it's still a ton of fun. The dialogue is really, really funny because it's a lot more flawful. And Bowser himself is very entertaining. Like, somebody's trying to explain him to something and he just gets annoyed and says too many words. <laughs> or, oh, actually, this was also hilarious. Um, when Bowser tries to stop Waffle from doing something, Waffle says, and the nuisance barge barges in. And then Bowser says, huh, I'm a nuisance barge, you're a nuisance super tanker. And also, apparently, he has dialogue between, between that. And he's got some, some cute things with, with um, Chippy slash Starlow, too. Hmm. Okay. Oh, and yeah, the, sorry. I will say that there were a couple of moments. In order to get Bowser to giant size, you have to go through some mini games with the brothers, and those got a little temperamental from time to time. But it never took me too long to make it work. Yeah, but it just—I found that slightly annoying because it's just like, why do I have to do this every time he goes giant size? I just <laughs> want to go giant size and go beat up something giant. I'm okay, fine. They have to play this weird shooting mini game thing to do it. Can't I just go ahead and? Start punching things and blowing fire at a you know at a at a runaway train. Well, you can if the price is right. So <laughs> let's talk about prices for a minute of these three games. So <clears throat> uh, for Mario and Luigi Bowser's Inside Story, the game's only about a couple of years old. Uh, you can get that brand new for about a little shy of thirty bucks. You can get it used for about twenty. So it sounds like you guys would easily plunk that down, right? Yeah, I bought it new, and I don't regret it. Ah. And let's see here. Bought, bought new, I should I should make clear, means that I bought it when there were no discounts yet. <laughs> and then uh, if you want to go one step back for Mario & Luigi Partners in Time on the DS, which came out in 2005, uh, that game hasn't fallen too much. Uh, brand new, it's going to actually cost you on the, uh, about 43 bucks with shipping included. Uh, you can get it used for about 24 That game is unusually hard to find. I actually got that like after Bowser, uh, Bowser's Inside Story because it was just hard to find in stores. I was going to order it from Amazon or something, but then I finally found a GameStop that had it. It was, it was about the same price. It was about, like, $30 used. I mean, and Nintendo games don't drop much in price, so I guess that explains it. Mm, and it doesn't get any better with Mario & Luigi Superstar Saga. Uh, now, you can get that uh, used anywhere from about uh, 10 11 12 bucks 12 um, to about 20 22 bucks depending on whether or not it comes with the uh, instructions or the such. However, if you want it brand new, in the original box, all ready to go, factory sealed, signed, and delivered, you're gonna pay about a hundred to a hundred fifty bucks. <laughs> Dang. Good. I know it's but still. Good lord, that's expensive. How's about I just give you a few cents and you give me a magic mushroom? As long as it doesn't give you the blow. What kind of a magic mushroom, Phil? Do you want one that will make you grow to twice your normal size, or do you want one that will make you invincible? Uh, one that does both. If I give you an I extra can't, quarter... I can't give you one that will make you throw fire from your palms. That's a fire flower. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, we're going to take a teeny tiny moment while you guys rush out to eBay and Hoff.com to buy a, your very own copies of these games, and we'll be right back. 
back for our Blast from the Recent Past segment. That's the segment we talk about games from about two years ago that you may have passed up and either shouldn't have passed up or maybe you were glad you did. We're here to help you make that decision. So today we're going to talk about Infinite Space. Now, this was developed by Nude Maker, so you know it's a great game because they make nudes um, in conjunction with Platinum Games. And everyone who owns the PlayStation 3, they're talking about Platinum. So, I mean, hey, that's awesome, you know. Uh, this was released uh, here in North America on March 16th, 2010. Uh, this, is, this is really cool here. This is an RPG Space simulation experience for your Nintendo DS platform, a single and multiplayer experience rated T. It must be terrific. I mean, come on, we got space simulation wrapped in with new makers and platinum. Well, and Phil, everything I, I have else. to say this. I'm very sorry to have to say this, but as you said with the rating, it's not adults only. And if you wanted to have the the studio Nude Maker live up to its name, wouldn't this have to be an adults only title? Yeah, that would be cool. Because the ESRB is run by old prudes, and that would be an automatic adults-only situation, I think. I'm sure it would be. I think it might even be more conservative than the MPAA, but let's not go there. <laughs> okay, Infinite Space was released by Sega. And Sega, Sega made, the, it made a truly brilliant decision putting this very close to the release of Final Fantasy XIII. Because if there's one way to guarantee that your title is going to get loads of attention, it's to release it next to a Final Fantasy game. Am I right? But this, they, but this they, is they, Nintendo DS. What does that have to do with 13? They released this and Resonance of Fate right by Final Fantasy 13. Yes. Okay, now Resonance of Fate is stupid. They're oh. both PlayStation uh, whoa, whoa, 3 RPGs. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, I mean it was stupid to uh, release it. To the release date. Yeah, oh, I'm referring okay. to release date. Yeah, we we all know, okay. you know, we all know the game's more awesome than applesauce, but um because we had that conversation just a show or two ago. But but I mean Infinite Space isn't exactly in the same category. I mean it's a No, it's it a, isn't. In, but the idea of getting serious media and advertising time when Final Fantasy thirteen is looming on the horizon is slightly unrealistic. Mm-hmm. The systems may not share the same audience, but let's face it, if you're going to be paying attention to an RPG, it's more than likely going to be that big FF thing, and no, I'm not talking about the Fantastic Four, who could make an RPG but haven't. You know, there was actually the... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to go into the Marvel Ultimate Alliance thing, but that's another show. <laughs> yeah, that, that would not be the Fantastic Four by themselves. But I always play the Fantastic Four when I play those games. I think they it's released, you. actually did a Fantastic Four game that was kind of like those Marvel Oh, uh, yeah, that really like sucked. A- like a movie game? Yeah, but it, was it was terrible. Yeah, I play the I play the Fantastic Four because usually when you play pre-made uh, teams, uh, you get bonuses. <laughs> yeah, the Fantastic Four was... You know, easy for me to pick out the roster of twenty six. Oh yeah, I know those four. Those are the four. Sometimes you pick other ca- uh, other teams of uh, heroes, and suddenly it would say Dark Knights. You know, because it yells out the team name once you put that team together. You're like, whoa, Wolverine actually worked with these guys at one point, and they were called the Dark. Okay, I never knew that. <laughs> Anyways, we get what, sidetracked. Considered the, the Avengers. The Avengers have had a lot of people over the years. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sidetracked too. I think they had several different Avenger teams, <laughs> like Avengers East, New mm-hmm. Avengers, West Coast, West Coast Avengers. Yep. So keep on going, okay. Mike. Before yeah, we sidetrack even more, I want I want to hear about the space simulation part because you know, I'm all about flying simulations and the such. All right. 
So when you go when you move between the planets in infinite space, you will occasionally get hit by random battles, and this is where combat takes place. Initially, you only control one ship, but by the end of the game, you will have an armada of five on your side, and all of them will obey the same command when you give it, which basically boils down to a variance between three different things. You can hit with a barrage, which deem, which throws massive firepower at the enemy. You can just do a standard attack, which is less powerful, or you can dodge, which is worthless against a standard attack, but will cause almost everything in a barrage to miss. And there's an action element, because you need to wait for a gauge to fill up a bit in order to use your actions. And there's also a range component, because you need to let your ships either close in in order to hit the enemy, or back off in order to get out of its range sometimes. Wait, wait, wait. Are you telling me this... This space simulation is rock, paper, scissors? Well, there are more elements to it than that. Okay. Rock, paper, scissors, rocket launcher? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It does more or less boil down to that, but the other options, such as uh, you can launch fighters from certain ships, and those will immobilize the enemy until the fighters are completely dealt with and allow you to wail on it for that time. And the moving portion is also very important because certain, actually all of your weapons have ranges and getting into the sweet spot where all of your attacks will actually hit instead of just either fizzling out before they reach the, the necessary range or being so long range that they can't hit anything at that space, that's important. Um, and in order to get into sp the fighting aspect at all, you need to start monkeying around with uh, the parts of your ships. And this means you need to mess around with some blueprints. You you buy blueprints, they're pretty cheap, but the actual parts can be very expensive. I I guarantee that you will be grinding a very, very long time if you want to buy every potential part. And every ship that you can acquire in the game has an interior space, which more or less consists of a bunch of blocks. And into those blocks you can fit the parts, which are derived from Tetris, although they're a lot more complex than that. You try and fit as much as you can into the available space, and these parts will augment the base abilities of each ship significantly, in addition to you being able to swap around the weapons and the armor and some of that. And it takes a long time to swap around the parts and make your ships as battle-worthy as you can possibly get them, but it's really fun. I'm, I'm telling you, swapping around these little Tetris parts may not sound immediately addicting, but it was to me, and I spent a long time with it because I had a lot of fun with it. And if you think the combat in space is simple, well, wait until you have the occasional hand-to-hand -hand fight, where it literally is rock... Well, not literally, but figuratively, it is rock, paper, scissors. You have three options, and each one beats the other. Mm -hmm. And most of these are easy as pie, except for one that involves a bunch of space pirates, and I remember having to go out and get exactly the right crew member on hand, because yeesh, those pirates beat me into the dirt. And that gets into the crew function, because as you run around the galaxy, you're going to find people who just might want to join your crew. And you need to put them into the right crew position in your ship in order to get the proper benefit during battles out of it. And I'm talking a lot of people, because this is not a short game, and how many people do I have at the end? 50, 60-something? You have more, you will eventually have more slots open for crew members than you have, uh, wait, I got that backwards. You will have more crew members than you have slots for them, which allows you to mix and match eventually, but 
almost all of them have particular skills that you will want, and each of them can augment your battle prowess in some way. So again, that that makes it a little more complex. And then there's the story, which starts with you being a fairly stereotypical JRPG protagonist named Yuri, who just he's just gotta get off this planet and see the galaxy. And there's a woman named Nia who is dressed. Well, I did not expect that she would be in a midriff-bearing outfit, considering that she works in space for a living. But who knows? Maybe if we go up to the International Space Station, we'll see that all the cosmonauts actually like to bear their midriffs in space. Who knows? You've never seen Anime Vandred. No, I haven't. And I'll probably not get to it anytime soon. But um, Mia, for whatever reason, just takes an interest in Yuri and helps him get out into space, and he initially has to get out of his own solar system, which is run by some evil despot who just, because he hates fun or whatever, doesn't want to let people go cruising around space when they could be sitting tight on their own planets and cranking out things that are worth money to him. So you do that, you, you cruise around the galaxy, you eventually find that an enormous force from another galaxy is starting to make incursions into this one, and then there's a ten-year gap in the middle of the game so that Yuri can grow up into a man. And boy, does he look different. Well, probably because he spent those ten years on a prison colony doing manual labor all the time. So he is no longer the stick-thin waif that you saw at the game's beginning. And near the end is when this thing... I'll say this. this is an, it is an interesting plot element that gets thrown out. And I don't particularly want to spoil it too much right now just to say that it goes places you don't usually see in JRPGs and throws questions about the makers of the galaxy and whether any of these people actually knew what they were doing or whether it was guided by a celestial hand and again this I don't really want to get to this point on my own we'll talk about it some other day on the backtrack with other people hopefully because it was like nothing I had seen in a JRPG before, and frankly, this feels far more like hardcore sci-fi stuff. And again, I'm being very, very vague for a reason. Hmm. Like those, like, like, like Star. What was it? Star Trek Five, where they go to meet, uh, you know, God. Well, no, that was six. Oh, it was six because it's always the no, even that numbers was that five. are bad. Was, you where, sure? Where, where, where James T. Kirk said the immortal line. Oh uh, yeah. What does God need with a starship? <laughs> and Deep regardless thoughts. of Star Trek V's overall quality, which is low, and if you doubt me on that, just go re-listen to Bones, Spock, and Kirk singing "Row, Row, Row Your Boat Again." Um, just that is a good line. It applies to numerous situations if you stretch it a bit. But it's not. Yeah, I guess it is almost like a god situation. But uh, yeah, I, I don't want to go into it too much right now because <laughs> it's one of those philosophical concerns almost that turns the entire narrative into something I didn't expect. And an entire character who seemed perfunctory and kind of useless at the beginning suddenly becomes far more unusual. Let's see here. Um, The music is kind of lo-fi and not that well-captured, but the compositions are pretty strong. I didn't get tired of listening to them, including a Again, I'll probably talk more about this when we do a proper backtrack on it someday in the future, but there is a moment when a full pop song emerges for a boss battle, which I guarantee you will not have been expecting, because that's 
not something games tend to throw out, and it's also the game's ending theme. Um, and the visuals, well, you, I, I can't expect too much for a DS game that has multiple planets. Most of it just consists of uh, static shots of the characters with static backgrounds, and you don't really get to go out on the planets much, but there are an awful lot of planets, and to do that properly, to give each planet a visitable space that you could interact with and have a full adventure on would demand an enormous game. So I can't say that it disappoints me overly when it would have been probably 10 years or more in the making to do everything that you possibly could with this concept. And I will say that this requires a pretty significant time investment. I think I sunk about 55 hours into it and for a handheld game, that's pretty substantial. You can probably trim that down a bit if you try really hard, but it's a long game for handhelds and would be fairly long even on a console. So you'll get your money's worth. I pretty much guarantee that. And I don't. I haven't checked its price on eBay for a while because this is one of the games that I don't really feel like selling in in the immediate future. But given Sega's masterful marketing strategy of more or less not promoting it at all. I don't think you'll have too much trouble picking up a copy for a good price. Okay, well, uh, let's uh, let's let's check on that price, huh? Infinite, because it might be infinite price. You ever thought about that? I thought about that. It actually is an infinite price. Wow! Check it out. Okay, so apparently Infinite Space is a little on the rare side. In fact, this listing on here says very rare and out-of-print game. Factory sealed. Oh, oh. oh. It says very rare. Uh-huh. And out-of-print out game. Print. On, the, on, the, on the auction listing by the seller, so it must be very rare and out-of-print because it said so. All right, let me look at these. <laughs> so, so, this is... Brand new, brand hours. It's at eleven fifty right now for a complete copy. Well, you can't. You look at that. That's got three days left, and it doesn't even have a buy it now figure. You gotta go right below it where it's a hundred dollars. Buy it now. <laughs> or you cartridge only. That's yeah. It's ending in six days, but it's at one cent. <laughs> So it would seem that the going price for a used copy all right, all right. is I'm about completed listings right now. We're going to see what's up here. It's what do I see here? Looking about forty five bucks. That went for twenty nine dollars, and I see another complete copy that went for twenty one fifty. Uh huh. With eighty two dollars shipping, maybe. eBay doesn't let you do that. Well, you <laughs> could, but uh, people would get smart. No, for four dollars shipping. Yeah, I don't know, Mike. That you did, is that Raider got like an eighty percent rating on it. I don't know if they got what they paid for. Oh, let me see. This guy has uh, five thousand six hundred sixteen feedback, and you're making me check. Into- <laughs> <laughs> okay, ninety nine point seven percent positive feedback. One negative in the last month and 470 you know, that's, positive. That's you who wants to do it. Yeah, you know, it's really funny, but it looks like, um, it looks like, yeah, we see one copy sold for 40. That one was, uh, it says very good. One sold for 29 plus shipping. Another one sold for 20. Uh, that one that sold for uh, 21 is a little bit on the low side. Another one sold for 60. 
So my original assessment was, uh, you know, according to uh, what I saw on the other page, it was running about an average of forty bucks, which seems to hold up here if you look at the completed listings. But if you're if you're a good sniper, you might be able to to grab it for about ten bucks less and get it in a thirty dollar range. I always look at the completed listings page. Helps me price things. Because this, I mean, this this lowest one that I've seen is is twenty five, but I've also seen a lot of them closed out in the forty to sixty dollar range. So it seems like, oh wait, wait, oh if you want to buy it international from the United Kingdom, there you go, eighteen bucks. So if you live in the UK, it's and much, cheaper. And how much does the UK seller charge to ship? Uh, I don't know if they ship to the United States. Uh, so it's a closed auction. So oh wait, if we go down to the small print here. Uh, maybe we'll say it down here. Uh, no, they need to make that clear. Oh, here we go. Payment, order, instructions, why buy from us. Uh, no, it doesn't really say. Anyhow, well, you have to think they sell in the U.S. if they're listing. Wait, isn't, it eBay, isn't there an eBay.uk for just U.K. Yes. listings? So if they're listing on .com, they must must be willing to sell it to the U.S., I would think. I would think so, or else eBay made a mistake. It's mm-hmm. been known to happen. Yeah. So yeah, get the UK version because the DS isn't region protected. Um, so no, I, I seriously doubt Sega bothered to change. Yeah. Except maybe give more languages as an option for the PAL region. Yeah, there's only a few DS games. Uh, there's a list somewhere, but there's only a few DS games that are region protected. I doubt Infinite Space is one of them. I don't, think, I don't think any are. There, there are. There's. Um, it, it, you mean DSI? DSI games, games yeah. Oh, yeah. D, well, yeah. And I don't know if D, it does, the DSI games are no different than DS. I mean, they all say Nintendo DS on the box. But unless you have a DSI, I guess you wouldn't. Because you know, I, I was shopping for the wife for a Japanese game, and I learned very careful uh, that you had to be a little careful. <laughs> so it'll say uh, on the good websites, and I bought her. Uh, I bought her one. It was rather pricey, so I wanted to make sure it would work on the American DS. Uh, yeah, you got to make sure it's not one of those funky DSI protected dealies. Uh, but there's only a few of those, so uh, great for import. Unlike the 3DS, thanks, Nintendo. Yeah, good going, Nintendo. What Ooh. the heck were you thinking? <sighs> Anyways, we're going to take a small break. We're going to wrap this up with the final lap. Hold on tight and listen to this. Final lap where we do some housekeeping, read some forum notes, and talk about our next show and what we're playing and all that other fun stuff. So, did we have yeah, some interesting... while we're doing that, uh, Cassandra. Yes? I'm assuming you listened to the last episode. I did. Based on what we had to say... Oh, boy. Were you convinced to steer clear or to sample Shenmue someday? Because uh, Sam asked us about that. Mostly to stay away, then maybe I'll... <laughs> YouTube videos to listen to the voice actors because, as I mentioned various times, a lot of people from Bot and Kaitos worked on that, and even though they're not good, it's amusing <laughs> to hear them every so often. 
It, I'm looking for some place where sailors hang out. That's really actually the ideal way to experience Shimu is by watching the YouTube videos of the cutscenes yeah, and just that's skip. That's right, Cassandra. You can find the Shenmu movie. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm sure it's on YouTube if you look. It, and directed it, by Michael Bay. Yeah. <laughs> And save yourself. You think you're making a joke, but I would rather watch the Shenmue movie than anything Michael Bay has done. Because it's only 90 minutes. Michael Bay has no idea how to turn in anything under 2 hours 15 minutes. Um, Sue. And it will be more coherent. Oh, This is true. I speak as one who watched all three Transformers movies with riff tracks, but in the same day. So let's let's dive into some of the comments regarding uh, that episode. Uh, Retro Vertigo said, "Sorry guys, I switched off and deleted around 20 minutes. It was painful to listen to, listening to several people just rip into the game without really being constructive with those criticisms. Isn't the way I want to spend my spare time." Y- you know what? Re- you know what? Uh, I did my best to say things that were not completely destructive and harmful and obviously it wasn't enough you know (laughs) here's the thing too i mean we could waste precious airtime giving constructive criticism but constructive criticism is usually given in order that somebody may go back and use it to construct something better they're not really listening to us and they're not making a shimu (laughs) three and going to take our feedback so why do constructive criticism when we can cut to the chase and go for good old-fashioned cutthroat criticism also, here's my constructive criticism. Make the entirety, the 16-part Shenmue story that was planned into one game. There. That's my constructive criticism. Mm-hmm. I think we've learned that Sega does not take any constructive criticism ever. Indeed. Just follow the history of the Sonic the Hedgehog series. Uh, somebody said, uh, or, the, or the very idea that the year-long gap between the last Saturn releases and the Dreamcast's release could possibly be filled with anything. Anything at all. Oh, oh, but wait, guys, this gets better, because after a little exchange with me and Michael Lapps and Cassandra, Kinseki Project Race back and says, I was disappointed you didn't bring anyone that enjoyed Shinmu to defend it from your criticism. It's more fun if you guys argue with each other uh, the entire, than, rather than all of you just tear it apart. Maybe I'll call him before your next show and explain why you were all wrong. Now, I can't Did help you do but... That? I, I'm looking in my inbox. I see no phone call, no message. So I can only presume that that he or she attempted to do what they said they were going to do because I'm sure they didn't lie. But in the end, just really couldn't think of anything. Also, I will say this. There is a person who enjoyed the first Shenmue back on the Dreamcast. I asked him to partake, but he his schedule just didn't permit it. The reality is, I think... Well, and of course, we I don't speak for every single person out there who's played it or whatever have you, but the general consensus from talking with many of my own friends who've played it is that if you got the thing when it came out because you knew no better, it was a <laughs> lot of, you know, I mean, heck, it looked absolutely awesome. The graphics still hold up to today, so you're oh, yeah. willing to put up with the, with, the, uh, with the gameplay, which for its time was meh, it was mediocre. Um, the problem with mediocre gameplay from 1996 or seven or whenever that came out is that yeah, it's still 12 years ago. Yeah, 12 years ago is that today it's absolutely garbage. So <laughs> if you're looking at it, you're saying, Phil, that was an awesome game. I'm telling you, you're looking at it through rose-colored lenses because the quick time events, the riding around the forklift at two miles, and none of that is really. Come on, you're oh, honest. Phil, it makes it. 
it makes it up to at least at least eight miles an hour. <laughs> eight miles an hour. Consecu- I, I want you. I don't want you to call up and tell me how good the story or the graphics are because that's not something we dispute. Absolutely not. But you can go and get that by watching the YouTube videos. Uh, so explain to me, if you're going to call, all I want you to do is explain to me how much you love riding around the forklift, how much you love the quick time events, which are even more archaic than the ones we have today. Tell me, you know, tell uh, you tell me how the rest of that game was fun and why people should go back and play it as opposed to maybe just watching the YouTube, uh, the YouTube videos. I mean, I'm telling you what, this game is so, it does, it just holds up so poorly. The gameplay department holds up so poorly today i can't even bring myself to watch a let's play of it i fall asleep <laughs> but <laughs> phil you don't want to see you know people doing team lifting mini games it's such thrilling entertainment you know or the lucky slot I, you know you want to watch that ball fall down in real time and I, then do it again i i gave it some careful consideration and then i said you know what filing my teeth sounded more fun I just I you know I like sharp canines so I just yeah that probably wanted a reason to go to the dentist yeah I mean boy you know when I've got uh, when I've got what uh, you know Mario and Luigi sitting in my Game Boy how can that compare <sighs> anyways you know what those Mario and Luigi games need they need Mario and Luigi to go home every night and sleep. Kitsuke, you're more, and I apologize if I'm not mispronouncing your your nickname, but you are more than welcome to. Hey, Phil, did, did you just apologize for mispronouncing something? <laughs> I only do you guys is on purpose. We try to be nice to our <laughs> listeners. You guys, I know, keep coming back no matter how much I slaughter your names. That that's the beauty of it, but uh, yeah, you're more than welcome, uh, Kusuke or or whatever your name is, to call up. <laughs> <laughs> to call us up at the RPG Backtrack and tell your story, tell us why you believe Shumei is more fun than um, gurgling with uh, plum plumber's helper. And <laughs> your standards are interesting, Phil. <laughs> give us a call. Um, what you want to do, and anybody can do this, of course. You want to get some ideas together, write them down, give a call to our hotline. You want it to be about two between two and five minutes, so give it a, a rough shot first with the time. And then call us up at 801-810-5597. Tell us your story. Tell the whole wide world why the entire cast of RPG Backtrack is wrong and why Shimu really is worth playing. Okay? And, 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 and then I want you to call back the next day and tell me if you could sleep at night. Because I'm just, just curious, that's all. Um, anyway, so... Uh, it's 801-810-5597. If you call and you mess up, just hang up and try again. It's okay. Just say, hey, I messed up. I'm going to call back and try again. And I won't, uh, I won't use that recording. Uh, and I promise you, I will put it on your, I will put it on the end of the podcast. And I promise I won't edit it with a bunch of amper stands. Because I've been known to do that before. I'll be a good boy and I'll just put it on the end of the podcast without any editing so the whole world can hear your thoughts. All right, so let's see here. That's the last backtrack. Uh, the next backtrack, uh, moving forward, is number 69, The Magic Kingdom. Uh, one game that came here, one that didn't. We're talking about Magic Star Sign and then something else. Magical, Magical Vacation. Oh, 
Okay, yeah, that one, yeah, you know, I didn't play that, and that's probably a good reason for that. Is there? <laughs> it doesn't sound like it rings a bell, and I generally only skip up really bad games. Is, is that a good... Anyways, we'll find out next next show. Yeah, Cassandra's going to be with us for that. Okay. Um, Though I don't... Have you played any of Magical Vacation? Is there a translation patch out there somewhere? I've never played it. If there is, I don't know about it. Hmm. Eh, the, there's a fact on GameFAQs that translates it not very well, but basic grounding yeah so if any of y'all have played any of those games you can actually call that number and and you can tell us your thoughts on it and be really great because we would be able to append it to the show uh that we're going to actually be talking about that uh those two games so feel free to do that and uh let us know what you think about it so it's time for uh let's see here what do i usually call this uh the um what's on your mind no there's a there's a uh, pimp, pimp, pimpage. So I don't remember what the name of my segments are anymore. Power pimpage. Power pimpage. Yes, we've changed the name to power pimpage. <laughs> so, uh, what do you guys want to pimp? Uh, is there anything you're playing, or anything you're writing on RP Gamer, or anything you want to do that you want the whole world to know about? And we're gonna start with the one and only Mr. Minky Go. Okay. Well, I've been keeping busy with the retro views. I just put one up for Thousand Arms yesterday, and prior to that I put one up um, for Lunar Nights, and prior to that I put one up for the Fire Emblem game that I had been talking about last show. And I have to say that Fire Emblem game is a lot easier now that I, A, don't have to dismount every time I go inside a structure, and B, can save between the phases of the final fight. <laughs> Sadly, it did not play on my 3DS, and I couldn't figure out why, so I can't keep it because my stupid regular DS, well, the right hinge is completely broken, and yeah, it still plays because all the wires go through the left hinge, but it's very cramping to my hand to have to keep the top screen supported all the time or else it tries to fall out. Yeah, because my, my last light did the same thing, and I kept it for almost an entire year before it completely snapped off, and I pretty much only used the bottom to play Game Boy Advance games because the top screen, forget it. Yeah, well, if I'm going to be playing DS stuff, and if I'm going to be playing Magical Star Sign, I kind of have to play DS stuff. Uh, well, yeah. You're saying that you could keep using that if until it finally snaps. <laughs> I could. And having played Lunar Nights on the 3DS, I can tell you that the 3DS D-pad doesn't feel very good to me. And I know that because in order to dash in Lunar Nights, you must double tap, which yeah, you cannot would... do with an analog stick. That is quite annoying, yes. And you... So, and you switch between characters by hitting the select button, which it also is not very comfortable on the 3DS, at least not when I have to use it that often. And uh, apparently I liked Lunar Nights less than anyone else around here who's played it. Um, I still liked it somewhat, but I, I'll go into that someday more when we do a boat tie backtrack, because it really fits into that, you know, all the Nintendo handheld Hideo Kojima produced stuff. And Thousand Arms, yeah, that'll probably get its own episode someday, too. But for now, I'll just say that an amusing translation and some amusing villains who really would have fit in just fine on the Disney afternoon back in the day can't quite make up for how sluggish and alternately slow and frantic the combat is. It just didn't wear right to me. Not really. And let's see, I'll have to do a couple movies, of course, because I naturally watch a ton of them. And I can tell Scott, 
if or I would if he was here, that we do not need a fifth Terminator movie. Bill Paxton has already been killed by the Terminator, which grants him the unique honor of having been killed by the Terminator, an alien, and a predator. No one else can claim that honor. <laughs> and I watched the entire Terminator series. The first two are superb. The third one is a step down, but it remains, to me, somewhat underrated just because uh, the action is good and... It has surprising amount of guts. You don't see many movies these days where a studio actually certifies it to go out with the nuclear holocaust as its ending. And Salvation was brought to us by McGee, and he should have kept it because it manages to make a post-apocalyptic fight against the machines pretty damn boring. I'm sorry. Um... And for a movie that's partially set in Connecticut, I know Mr. App should see bringing a baby sometime. You know you want to see Catherine Hepburn and Cary Grant trying to corral a leopard named Baby that's running loose. You know you uh, want to. That is a funny movie. I've seen that twice. What movie is this? Bringing Up Baby. I've uh, never heard of it. It's, well, directed by Howard Hawks, Catherine Hepburn, and Cary Grant star, and our scenario is that he is trying very, very hard to get the million-dollar endowment from somebody for his museum, but... Catherine Hepburn's character just keeps getting in the way, first at the golf game, then at the dance, then at the ball they're attending, and then she just decides that she's going to get him for her own, even though he's engaged to somebody else. And Well, the plot doesn't really matter in a screwball comedy, just so long as it's funny, and it is. <laughs> and there are eventually two leopards running loose, one of whom responds to a song that they both sing a cappella, the other one does not, because it's a wild circus leopard that was going to be destroyed eventually, but... They don't know that. So really. you say this was filmed in Connecticut? No, but it was uh, It's set in Connecticut. Ah. It's a studio comedy from the 30s. When was the last time you looked at a studio comedy and said, by golly, I appreciate the attention to detail with these production values. I can tell they filmed on location, and I appreciate it. Really, with comedies, at least for me, you either go, that's funny, or that's not funny, and I'm looking for other things that are interesting about it. Pretty much. Like like Caveman. I don't know if you've ever seen that. That's the Ringo Starr, well, Caveman comedy. And it was filmed in rural Mexico for millions of dollars because they had to be housed in that location. And it didn't really need to be. That's the example that came to mind off the top of my head. Um, and like I said, I watched the riff tracks for Daredevil. Uh, yeah. The, I saw that with some roommates back in 03 when it was first released, and nobody liked it. And that is not one of the more successful comic book movies. And I don't even really want to blame Ben Affleck, although too much Ben Affleck in a nothing role is no good thing. It's just not good. It's got Kevin it's, Smith in it for like a for minute. About a minute, yeah. Yeah. Can he save it? No. Nope. Can Colin Farrell, acting probably like he just came in off the set from a drinking binge, save it? No. Can Michael Clark Duncan save it? No. Can Jennifer Garner save it? No. Yeah. Yeah. It's and a shame. Because Michael Clark Duncan, I thought, would have made in, in a better film a really good kingpin. Yeah, he's... He's fine with his limited screen time, and really, after you've just had the big 
climactic showdown with Bullseye in that church, how can you immediately go to having Daredevil fight Kingpin? It just smacks of anticlimax, and it wasn't interesting. And speaking of rift tracks, anybody see the Troll 2 rift tracks? Admittedly, you don't need the rift tracks to watch your Troll 2, but I like it. There was a Troll 1? Troll 1 is a fascinating movie in which there actually is a troll in Troll 1. And there's there's also Sonny Bono. (laughs) What? Yes, Sonny Bono is in there, and he plays a Lothario. Imagine that, Sonny Bono trying his best to get the women interested in him. (laughs) And Julia Louis-Dreyfus is in there. And you get to see her in what looked like uh, a plant bikini, briefly. And it stars the Potter family. With the male, with the father named Harry and his son named Harry. Can you see where this might have influenced someone later? I can't, especially since this involves a troll magically transforming the building into. I don't even know, but it's a weird movie. No, Troll 2 has no trolls. Let's get that out of the way right now. There are no trolls in Troll 2. False advertising. <laughs> False advertising. <laughs> Instead, it has goblins. Goblins that will not eat human flesh. You must eat these weird things that carry uh, bright green and bright aquamarine uh, food coloring on them, and they will turn you apparently into some kind of plant, which will either be like a standard plant that is meshed with a human, or it will turn into a soupy goo. There's no real rule here. And then they eat you like that because they're vegetarians, I thing. Don't even ask me to explain how this works. There's The movie makes no sense, like how the main character's dead grandpa is able to stop time once. It never comes up again, but what? yes, he just says, you have to stop them from eating. I'll stop time just this once for you. You have to stop them. Or later, the, the popcorn seduction, where a woman seduces a man by apparently holding a corn cob in her mouth, then having it between them as they kiss, so that they're not actually kissing, the corn cob is in the way, and then popcorn just starts flooding a trailer. <laughs> um, yes. So were, were drugs, was massive drug use involved in the production of this movie? Hard to say through translation. There are These are American actors, and this was filmed in Utah, but... It was scripted and directed by Italians who knew almost no English and yet were convinced that they knew how Americans talk. This may account for some of the strange (laughs) phrasing. Like, uh, well, here's the most famous one, and I'll try and recreate it for you. They're eating her! And then they're going to eat me! Oh my god! I'm not quite doing it justice, but that gives you an idea of the wonderful performances you will find in this film. Wow. Like the dad, after the kid, in order to stop them from eating the horrible, horrible mutating food, uh, well, he unzipped his pants, and you don't see what happens next, but you see food being scraped off into the trash, and the dad telling him, You know what these stand for? Hospitality! And you can't piss on hospitality! I won't allow it! There is also a Troll 3, although it's known by many other names. 
Uh, it's considerably less known, but it also has no trolls. Instead, it is about uh, killer plant roots. What? <laughs> um, yes. And literally, a sheriff who walks around going, Aah! he does that a lot. Aah! And uh, it was also filmed in the United States, Oregon, with an American cast by an Italian director and screenwriters. So if you track down Troll 3, or as it's also known, The Crawlers or Contamination Point 7, you will see another wretchedly awful movie that is somehow quite funny. I think I've talked for a long time this time. I'm not even going to mention The Replacement Killers. I'll just stop now. Or The Killer. Or The Fugitive. Oh, I, I could mention Silent Hill and how maybe if I had actually played a Silent Hill game, the movie would make more sense, but it doesn't to me. Mm, okay. No, I'm done. <laughs> okay, Mr. Apps. Well, um, you know, I had some other things going on, but then Tales of Graces came out, and that's about all I'm up to right now, along with Mass Effect 3. Mm. Uh, so both really, really good RPGs. And yeah, that's about it, except, um, you know, uh, as usual, send me in some letters for Q&A. I notice you're not talking about another game you mentioned, one you've talked about before, but has stubbornly refused to be finished due to its own bugs. Oh, oh, War in the North. Let's talk about that for a minute. <laughs> I was stuck for the longest time on one level, and then, you know, I tried playing as a different character, and that worked, and I was able to advance. And got through two more areas. And one, you know, was right before the last area in the game. And now every time I try and get to the last area in the game, you know, I beat the second to last area, uh, the game completely breaks. I can't advance. I've even tried replaying previous areas and have experienced those breaking. Like I'll, you know, advance a checkpoint, come to an... Uh, area I can't backtrack from where there should be enemies and there are none and since the game auto saves that pretty much breaks your save hmm maybe I sense a lack of quality control here it, I've heard the other versions are might be better but the PS3 version as far as I can tell or as, as in my own experience at least is completely broken if you like go from the slightest, the slightest deviation from what the game expects you to do. I love games that make you do exactly what the developers wanted and nothing else. Don't you, Phil? Well, I think it adds a unique quality to the game. <laughs> you know, I, I think what I'm hearing from Mr. Apps is what we refer to in the RP community as whining. Okay, because... <laughs> You know, because we all play, real RP gamers play, we, we play with our brains, okay? We're used to challenges that make us think, and we all understand in the world of RPGs that if you don't plan ahead, rotating your save files, for example, or, uh, you know, in case there is that occasional uh, big boss that kills you right before a save, or right after a save point or something like that, then you deserve to have to start the game all over again from scratch. Phil, Phil, mm -hmm. this game doesn't 
doesn't let you do anything like that. You have one save. You can't save that game to multiple slots. It'll auto-save for you. And on the PS3, the only way to back up your save is if you're a PlayStation Plus member and copy it to your cloud drive. Otherwise, you can't copy your save onto any kind of external media. So what you're saying here is that you didn't have the foresight to become a PlayStation Plus member. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. I am a PlayStation Plus member, and I had a backup save, which I reloaded about seven or eight times Mm -hmm. and ran into the same issue where I couldn't advance to the final area. I don't know. It sounds like you didn't do something. <laughs> you know? that, that's true. I didn't sell the game instead of continuing to waste my time with it. <laughs> I don't know. Did, did, you check in, did you check in the in-game store to see if they had uh, violins and cheese for sale? <laughs> <laughs> to go with your wine, of course. <laughs> oh... Anyways, um, everybody, because uh, I know that just like we had people who write in saying how much you love Shimu, I know there's a lot of people waiting to defend this game as well, so make sure you dial in <laughs> or post on our boards at board.rpgamer.com or is it rpgamer.com slash boards or something. rpgamer.com, click on the forums and share your thoughts. Tell Mr. Apps that he's just being a wuss. Yes, tell me, I'd like to see people that have actually finished the PlayStation 3 version of War in the North. I'd like to see that they actually exist. Yeah, I'm telling you, man. All righty. Well, maybe Cassandra's got something, you know, to say yeah, that doesn't... Maybe she hasn't been playing a game that auto-saves and is broken at the end. That, you know. I like... uh, on the side things, I really haven't been doing much because I've been trying to finish up this uh, my school schooling slash uh, career training for medical assisting, so I've been doing cranking out to be one story a week tops, and I haven't done a review in a while either. And you, you consider being trained to assist in the medical profession more important than writing about RPGs? I can't believe you. Well, I'm sorry. I, I do. And on the gaming side of things, I've actually been more uh, trying to prepare for backtracks because I hadn't actually played the Mario and, RPG, Mario and Luigi RPGs except for the first one. About a like about a month ago, and then before that, I played Strange Journey, and I'm currently oh not currently I'm actually currently playing Devil Survivor 2, but I'm once that's done, I'm gonna play both uh, Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask and or and Oracle of Seasons is the one I have yeah, and because there's a Zelda coming up in a couple of months as well, so yeah nothing too interesting there. I actually have a uh, I actually have a, re- a a retro view. Like the text is done, but I haven't found any time to put it to really put it together for Ultima Four because I played that for the heck of it. But again, I haven't had any time to actually had it proofed or to really put it together. And we need better screenshots because we have really bad screenshots of the Sega Genesis version of that game. I think it's the Master System, actually. Oh, the Sega Master. Yes, I, I'm sorry, Cassandra. That is the only I, Ultima game we actually had a game page for a couple of years ago when I went looking through there and made game pages for all the other ones and pulled nice new screens. But that one, not only did whoever make that page 10 years ago, I think, classify it as solely a Sega Master System game, but apparently the screen standards were, were quite a bit different for the site at that time. But yeah, I need to find some time to actually find PC versions of that game to use for the review. But yeah, but I hope I hope that'll come out sometime soon. But no, well, I, yeah, like I said, we'll have to wait and see. Mm. All righty. 
Sounds like fun. Well, let's see here. Um, I've uh, just been playing some uh, World of Warcraft with uh, with some of my friends since the updated Scroll of Resurrection daily came out. Where now, if uh, if someone had a WoW account in the past and their friend re-refers them back, they now get to automatically warp a character to level 80 and do a server and faction change if need be, so they can play with their friends. So I've had a couple of friends uh, come back, especially when they threw in the whole year with Diablo deal, and now that Diablo date's been announced, uh, yeah, got a few friends coming back in, so I've been playing some World of Warcraft. Shimigami Tensei Strange Journey, which I will be saving for a future cast, but so far enjoying it. <laughs> and uh, I watch Captain America, and I have to say the Captain America that I saw uh, last weekend wasn't nearly as good as the one from the 1970s. I, I, I don't know. The one with Red Brown? Yeah, it was missing the cheese factor. I don't know. What? I thought it was full of cheese. <laughs> you thought it was full of cheese? Uh, no, yeah. I, I have you own... seen the one from 1970? Cause no, it's not from 1970. 60? It's from, it from? from 78, 79. Yes, the 1970s, yeah. Okay. I was talking about so, the yeah, death. There's a difference between 1970 and 1978, though. Yeah, and, and, and so, uh, you know, compared... Compared to that one, this one was way ahead of its time. Just, oh well. Uh, it was a good well, action flick. The new, yeah, the new one I thought was pretty decent for the most part, although when Hugo Weaving became Red Skull at the end, uh, he looked uncannily like the mask, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah red colored, but yeah. It's, um, yeah. Yeah, he did, yeah. Well, I gotta say... Based on this and Push and a couple other things I've seen him in, Chris Evans is a much better actor than I would have ever guessed based on Johnny Storm from the Fantastic Four movies. What what? You I say, thought Phil? he was a fantastic Johnny Storm. At being a jerk, yeah. Yeah, isn't that Johnny Storm? <laughs> More or less, but it made me hate the character instead of finding him endearing at all. Then again, we are talking about the Fantastic Four movies and... Um, yeah. Um, Galactus is a cloud. Okay, wait a minute. This is my. This is my. Okay, this is my section. You guys had your chance to talk. Okay. But Phil, you, you don't no, want no. to remember what no, Galactus I don't. was like no. in the Fantastic Four movie. No, I will. You don't want to remember how Silver Surfer defeated him by exerting and making him vanish? Because clearly Silver Surfer can make Galactus vanish at any time. Isn't that right? Well, that's, that's, yeah, that's pretty much his power. I mean, if you just look it up. But that's beside the point. You see, um... Galactus gave him... No, he was just... He was Galactus' servant, though. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the power cosmic, uh... You know, I think we are getting derailed here. Anyway, <laughs> I will say that the Red Skull looks a lot closer to the Red Skull in the comic than Galactus looked like in Fantastic... <laughs> which I know isn't saying much, but... <laughs> Yeah, um, it's the truth. Um, what is it about the gigantic dust cloud in space that does not look like the comic book version? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think it was uh, the way he had me wheezing and coughing at the end. Um, no, no. Well, it's kind of like the ultimate comics version of Galactus, but he was a cloud of, like, nano machines or cloud of machines or something like that. Also, how did that climax work where... Suddenly, Johnny Storm was able to take on the powers of 
Mr. Fantastic, the Invisible Woman, and the Thing simultaneously when everybody had been swapping powers before that okay. in lame attempts at comedy. <laughs> My section. You guys can have <laughs> you guys can have a Final Fantasy IV cast whenever you'd like. I will happily record it for you and Minky, you can post it. <sighs> now where was I before I was so rudely interrupted? Uh you're talking about the Dust Cloud Galactus? No, no, we were not talking about the Dust <laughs> Cloud Galactus. Oh my gosh, you guys are so bad. <sighs> We're not nearly as bad as that movie. <laughs> All right, that's it. You guys, you know, that's it. You've asked for it, okay? <sighs> You're going to make me pull out the legalese. RPG Backtrack is a production of RP Gamer, your source for RPG news, impressions, reviews, and articles, and home into the best gaming community on the net. Write your questions and comments on our boards, especially when. <laughs> especially when you want to defend really bad games, or email jcserverandrpgamer.com and help shape our future shows. Don't forget to follow us at twitter.com slash rpgamer. Become our biggest fans at facebook.com slash rpgamer. As always, listen to our previous podcast as well as our sister show, RPGcast, all at rpgamer.com. On the behalf of myself, Mr. Mike Meeky, Miss Cassandra Romos, and, 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 and Mr. Michael the New Apps, <laughs> and that other person who was here earlier, uh, Flecky, Stecky, Mecky, Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse, we all thank you for listening to the RPG Backtrack. As always, you are the reason we all do this. And do us a favor, rate us on iTunes. Mr. Mickey, please put us before some more clouds move in. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to come up with a Dr. Seuss-influenced uh, take on Mario using hop and pop and stop and clever rhymes like that, but I got lazy and I didn't, so I'll just say that if you like Mario games and you think that turning them into an RPG sort of thing would work at all for you, yes, please talk, Please go play what we talked about in the main event. Oh.